Good morning. If we haven't met, my name is Sam McLaughlin, and I'm the senior pastor here at Bellmead. I'm so happy to be back with you today. A big thank you to Gracie, who stepped in at the very last minute of the first Sunday of this series as I got sick. And a thank you to Reverend Mary Jane Pierce Norton, who preached last week. If you are uh, new to Bellmead, I would love the chance to meet you in the narthex on the way uh, out the door. We have a gift for you. And if you're online, we want to say welcome to you again. We hope you will let us know you're here, and our pastor, uh, Rachel Jorstad, is there to greet you. And so today is the third Sunday of our September sermon series called Act Justly, Love Mercy, Walk Humbly. And this series has been based on that verse from Micah chapter 6, verse 8. And each Sunday we have been breaking down those three things to take a deeper look and a deeper dive at each of these things that God says is required of us. If you missed it uh, this morning during the announcements, our youth are going to conclude our series on justice next Sunday. So there will only be one service here in the sanctuary at 1030 uh, and online, and I hope you come to support them. I'm really looking forward to what they have to say. Just to give you a little bit of a recap, too, in case you've missed where we've been, uh, Micah was an 8th century Judean prophet. We talk about prophets in the Old Testament. There were minor prophets and major prophets. And uh, Micah was number six among the 12 minor prophets. He was really concerned with the treatment of the oppressed for vulnerable groups of people particularly by wealthy people or people who had means and resources to create a more just and equitable environment. And so in chapter six, when we come down to chapter six, we see that God is bringing an argument against the people. Uh, Gracie pointed out to you that it's like God is a disappointed parent, someone who has provided all of these things for their kids and the kids have just sort of gone awry. That never happens to any of us with children, <laughs> right? And so God is sort of bringing this case before the people and he's saying, look at what I have done for you. I've delivered you from the hands of slavery and I've led you across the Jordan River into the promised land. And so the people can see that God is disappointed and much like we do or our children do, uh, they say, what can we do to make this right? How can we fix this? God, can I bring you my burnt offerings? Can I give you a thousand rams? Can I give you 10,000 rivers of oil? Should I sacrifice my firstborn? Should I even lay down my own life? And it's, this, it's as if God says, you don't get it. This is what I require of you, to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with me. And so in our first week, we talked about acting justly and what biblical justice looks like. And we said here in the Methodist Church, we have a great tradition. We have language that we have put to this call to justice. It's called personal holiness and social holiness. So personal being those things like worship, which is also collective, but worship and devotion and prayer and Bible study paired with social holiness paying attention to the groups in our communities, in our neighborhood, in our world, who need us to be advocates. And so we did say too that sometimes uh, it's not that we are wanting, not that we are ignoring problems on purpose, 
that we all have things in our lives that we're dealing with. If we're dealing with health concerns, or we're trying to take care of a two-year-old, or we're really busy at work, it's valid that it's hard to look beyond the scope of what's right in front of us. But that what we are called to do as a part of justice is to take personal responsibility for what we see, to not look away, to find those specific things that we care about that break our heart and to engage in the world in making it more just. We also saw that in Micah chapter 6, there are all these references to groups in the Bible that Micah might have been describing as vulnerable, like the fatherless or the widows or the orphans. And so part of our justice work as Christians is to say, who are the vulnerable groups outside of our doors? Who are the oppressed groups and how do we come alongside them? Last week, Mary Jane talked about mercy and she pointed out from the very beginning that uh, mercy in the Hebrew could mean a lot of different things. Sometimes mercy, sometimes kindness, loyalty, faithfulness. And so she challenged you to think about what word really resonates with you. I think another way to ask that is what do you need more of? Do you need to be more merciful, more kind, more loyal, or faithful? She talked about the connection between hospitality and mercy, that we can begin to eradicate some fear of other people, of strangers, as we bring them in. That hospitality bridges a gap. It makes us more kind and accepting. And she acknowledged that just justice work, it's hard, it's deep, and it takes time. And so here we are today with walk humbly with God. And really, I heard that entire phrase first and more foremost is, what does it look like to live in such a way that I, that you, walk humbly, walk closely with God. In the Hebrew, uh, part of the intent of this was to say that God is my constant companion. I love that. God is my constant companion. And so as the, we sang that hymn in the garden, I did a little digging on the history and the story, and it's really fascinating. The composer of the hymn is C. Austin Miles. He was born in 1868 and died in 1946. And he actually started as a pharmacist. <laughs> so he was trained to be a pharmacist, practiced and was educated that way, but he had some success as a songwriter. And so he soon became a full-time music editor for the Hallmack Publishing Company in 1868. Now, he wrote several different things, but this was by far uh, his most famous song. And he provided the story of this song to his friend and colleague, George Sandville. He says, one day in March 1912, I was in my dark room. You know that place where I keep my photographic equipment and my organ? a photographic equipment and organ in a dark room. He said, I drew my Bible to me, and he kind of did one of those things where you just open up the Bible and let it fall where it will fall, and it's like, here's my inspiration for the day. And the Bible happened to fall on his favorite chapter in all of scripture, John chapter 20. And so he said that day as he listened to that, read that story, he, he found himself placed in the story of Mary going to the tomb after Jesus' death. He said, it's like I literally watched Mary 
go and see that stone rolled away and run back to Peter and bring Peter and John and then sit outside the tomb and weep until Jesus appeared and whispered her name. And there was this intimate count encounter between them. And so he says, as soon as that sort of vision was done, he got up and he ran and grabbed pen and paper and he formed this poem. And later in the very same day, he put the music to the words. And so I love that here in this story of the hymn, we have Mary as this biblical example of someone who walked closely with Jesus, someone who knew that Jesus knew her name. So I think about those people in our lives who show us what it really looks like to walk closely with God. One of those people for me is named, uh, was named Mary Margaret Willems, and you have maybe heard me talk about her before. When I graduated college, I came here to Tennessee and I worked for a rural life ministry just an hour and a half from here, uh, close to Mont Eagle, Tennessee. And when I moved there, I met Mary Margaret. Mary Margaret had moved to Tennessee from Mississippi in her retirement to really be a volunteer for this ministry full time. Uh, I also met her, her daughter, Julie, who I worked with. And so Julie, Mary Margaret, her family really became, I felt like I became a piece of their family. Mary Margaret invited me to come to church at Morton Memorial in uh, Monteagle, Tennessee. I sat on the front row with her every week. I went to Bible study with Mary Margaret on Wednesday nights. I went to her house for dinner after work and sat and watched Dancing with the Stars with her. <laughs> and so we just became very close. And a couple of years into being there in ministry together, Mary Margaret had a recurrence of breast cancer. And ultimately, it was what took her life on April 4th, 2013. But what I remember about Mary Margaret is what her faith looked like through that journey. She never stopped volunteering for the ministry, going down the mountain to buy groceries, which literally took an hour, <laughs> two hours to go there and back, hosting people in her home. I remember a story in which uh, we were having a healing service in her backyard and she got up and she shared a witness about being on that cold CAT scan table and how kind of alone she felt and that question that came in her mind that happens for a lot of us in the midst of pain is, why God, why God is this happening to me? But she felt in that moment that the spirit kind of encapsulated her and the next thought was, why not me? I wouldn't wish this on someone else. I don't think that it's something that God has done. Just this kind of faithful, grounded Christian perspective to her journey with cancer. Another time I stayed at her house and I came down the stairs and into her bedroom where her and her husband, Bob, were sitting up in bed. At this point, she had lost all of, our, all of her hair and so it was, uh, there was a wrap around her head and I interrupted them in the middle of their morning devotion together. Some aspect of personal holiness that they shared and held on to until the day that she died. Now, a big piece of what I remember is that those very last months, she kept reassuring all of us that loved her with this phrase, Jesus knows my name. Jesus knows my name. I walk with him. I talk with him. I'm close to him. I have confidence in him. Jesus knows my name. And so in the very last days of her life, when she could no longer speak, that is what we spoke over her. Jesus knows your name. 
Jesus knows your name. So the first thing I want you to hear this morning, church, is that Jesus knows your name. This is an invitation to walk closely and intimately with him. And that means no matter what you face in your life, you have this force and this person that undergirds you and holds you up, that you can even have the audacity to still laugh and have joy and see beauty in life when God is your constant companion. The second thing I heard as this uh, phrase, walking humbly, uh, was to take it quite literally. And, and really, actually, this phrase, treading lightly, uh, kept coming up in my mind. You know, I have to tell you that this really made me think about the literal footprint that we have on the earth, right? In this series on justice, this is a moment where we can acknowledge the importance of environmental justice. Now, we are in an era in our culture, in our world, where we have doubled the life expectancy over the last 100 years. And so we're living longer and there's more of us. It just seems logical to me that we talk about the resources that we're expending from the earth. So I was reading a New York Times article called, called Off the Charts Events, and it was really charting uh, the la really last several months of the summer and what was happening around the world as a result of climate change. So you might remember here in the U.S., a heat wave on the West Coast sent temperatures as high as 110 degrees, that 100 million Americans across the country suffered a heat wave, and that floods as a result were uh, ravaging Kentucky and Missouri. There was a heat wave in Pakistan that reached India, created a severe a drought. There was drought and heat wave in China, heat wave in Europe, wildfires in Europe. There were things we probably don't think of because we don't see, like heavy rainfall that caused floods and mudslides in South Africa, killing people. The biggest thing that they pointed out was uh, the, the damage that took place in Pakistan that floods submerged more than a third of the country and killed 1,300 people. And so the point of this article was to recount those things and help us see the whole picture, but also to say that it's poorer countries like Pakistan that lack the resources to adapt to these circumstances without outside aid. And in many ways, that's unfair, right? Because poorer countries have contributed to climate change much less because of the amount of greenhouse gas that they emit, right? That they are the ones suffering the worst consequences of global warming. And so I think that we live in this legacy of prophets like Micah who saw how wealthier nations or people benefited while others suffered. And I'm not saying that's our fault. This isn't about blame. This is about how do we take personal responsibility and care we, as a people of God, were given dominion over the earth. And I think environmental justice can be hard. There, there are ways that it's easy, like recycling our cardboard. It's not easy for me not to use 100 paper towels in one day. You know, I have, I have small children. But I think the point really is that this injustice, or any injustice that we name, requires our effort and our attention and some sort of personal responsibility. And in this instance, a call for us to tread lightly on the earth. 
The last thing that I really want to point out, and perhaps as a way to sort of encapsulate what I was just saying, is that what does it look like to have a more humble presence in this world? You know people that represent humility to you. These aren't people that I think are mild or meek or, or doormats. These are people that are kind and gentle and patient. People who operate in the world uh, not to overpower or to dominate. People who do not claim to have all the answers. People who listen intently. They're genuinely interested in the give and take of relationships. I really sort of imagine it as a visual, like humility is sort of living with this palms open approach to life. I know I have responsibility. I can be gentle. I can be humble. I can be kind. I can be open. I can tread lightly. And this, I think, is a picture of biblical humility. It's what Jesus showed us, to set aside the self for the sake of the whole. Who of us does not want to set aside the self for the sake of the whole? One translation of the word humbly in uh, the Hebrew is wisely. So another thing we can say is that we as Christians are called to walk wisely. And in this context of speaking about justice, I find this really helpful that we Christians are called to be wise leaders who create margin to rest and breathe and pray before we react to the things that we see in the world. That we Christians are called to humble ourselves before God and seek God's wisdom and God's discernment on the actions that we should take to the injustices in our world. Justice is not yelling at one another through a computer screen. Justice is not polarizing views. Justice is a balance of prayer and movement. So I think for most Christians, that piece for us now is to lean into the movement. And that is what God is saying through Micah in this passage. Quit bringing me your burnt offerings and your acts of worship and your religious words and piety. That matters. But faith without works is dead. Do what is fair and just to your neighbor. Be compassionate and loyal in your love. Don't take yourself so seriously. Take God seriously. In church, in our world today, I truly believe that that is what people are looking for when they are looking at us Christians. Are we self-centered like our culture? culture? Do we elevate ourselves for personal gain? Do we use the gospel to keep ourselves comfortable? Or do we walk our talk? Do we practice what we preach? Do our prayers have feet? All of this is in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.